This is an audio cast of the Frontline program Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, premiering September 12th on PBS. The film includes trial reenactments that are edited for clarity. defendants are charged with engaging in a systematic scheme to falsify and fabricate loan applications. The little-known story about the only bank prosecuted for mortgage fraud after the financial meltdown. At first you think that they're here to figure out what's going on for us. We transition to, wait a minute, maybe we're the target. A family business caught up in a national crisis. I think Americans were upset that the security against which loans were made were often fictitious. And in Abacus, there was some truth to that, too. And fighting to survive. Tom is not easy to be pushed around. And my girls, they're tough, smart, capable women. It's trying for us because it's our father's legacy. And he's passed that legacy on to us. Tonight on Frontline, from Steve James, the director of Hoop Dreams and The Interrupters, Abacus, small enough to jail. Frontline is made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. Major support is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information is available at macfound.org. Additional support is provided by Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide at FordFoundation.org. The Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The John and Helen Glessner Family Trust, supporting trustworthy journalism that informs and inspires. And by the Frontline Journalism Fund, with major support from John and Joanne Hagler, and additional support from Scott Nathan and Laura DeBonis and William and Helen Pounds. Major support for Frontline and for Abacus Small Enough to Jail was provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I owe everything to George Bailey. Help him, dear father. First time I saw his wonderful life, I had tremendous respect for George Bailey, who was the main character. He did so much good for the community. Mr. and Mrs. Martini, welcome home. George was lending money to the community resident to buy houses. Me, Giuseppe Martini, I own my own house. And that's exactly the same purpose that, that when we started the bank, it was our motivation to help a lot of people, a lot of immigrants. This movie touches me so much. The family, the friends. I always watch it. Every year I watch. That makes me cry, because mm -hmm. that's the part. I wish this story could end the same way as uh, It's Wonderful Life. But in reality, it is not that simple. Today, we are announcing 
the indictment. New York County DA Cyrus Vance Jr. Of 19 individuals on charges including mortgage fraud, securities fraud, and conspiracy, as well as the indictment of Abacus Federal Savings Bank, a federally chartered bank that has been catering to the Chinese immigrant community since 1984. If we have learned anything from the recent mortgage crisis, it's that at some point these schemes unravel and taxpayers can be left holding the bag. Thomas Sung. The DA made such a big parade, bringing people from Washington, all these tough law enforcement officers, and making such a big announcement that we are part of the cause of financial crisis of 2008. Almost laughable. Mr. Sung is entitled to his opinions, but in Abacus's loan department, mortgages were based upon false documentation. We have evidence of conspiracy, arsony, and systemic fraud. Journalist Matt Taibbi. If that prosecution goes through, that bank is going to go out of business. There's no question about it. They're going to lose their charter, and it's going to enormously impact that community. Too big to fail, you know, turns into small enough to jail. And Abacus is small enough to jail. here, of course, I feel very much at home. Thomas Sung is the founder and chairman of Abacus Federal Savings Bank. Incidentally, this is a very uh, tasty uh, noodle shop if you, if you go in there. I was born in Shanghai in the year 1935. At the age of 16, I immigrated to the United States. And I went to law school, and I moved to Chinatown. There was not many Chinese lawyers, so I did a lot of pro bono work. This, 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 this building, it was the Chinese national flag. It's a Chinese community center. And in there is the headquarter of Chinese Consolidated Banana Association. I represented the association for years and years and years. This association sponsored a school, and I obtained the charter from the Department of Education. And people in the community Older people, particularly, remembers me, knows what I've done. Back when I was a lawyer, there was no bank that was owned by Chinese and serving the Chinese. This is Chinatown, New York City. Warm, colorful, cheerful. A wonderful place for sightseeing. This man is on his way to the bank. 
What is it about the bank that makes our man feel at home? The very design, beautifully bright with the primary Chinese colors, and he sees home in the soft, sweet smile of the teller. At that time, banks in this community had several hundred millions dollars of Chinese deposit. And I went to a bank to try to borrow money, but they do not lend money and deal with the community. Daughter Jill Sung. He always told us stories that they were willing to take his deposits, but they weren't willing to give him credit, loans. So that's why he started the bank, because he felt that wasn't fair to the community. Daughter Heather Sung. I remember when we were children, my dad was excited about this venture that he was going to start. And he involved us in the decisions of what would be the symbol for the bank. And I remember we would all try to design something. Abacus, you know, is the Chinese calculator. China regard Abacus as a national treasure. So we say we'll name the bank Abacus. Hello, can you open for me? Jill Sung is the president and CEO of Abacus Bank. We serve people who've never even dealt with the banking system before, and you try to bring them into the banking system. An example of that is the safe deposit boxes. Have you ever seen so many boxes? There are 8,000 plus boxes in this vault. 8,000. The Chinese people, particularly the immigrants, they rent houses in a very tight quarters. There's no place for them to place their valuables except in a bank vault. So it starts with the safe deposit boxes. Then they really to put their money into the bank and then let the money grow. And then later on, they will take that money and use it to buy a home. Vera Song is the director of the bank. At the actual closing, many of the borrowers bring their whole family with them. And they bring their children, their grandmother, and by the time they walk out, they're all super happy. And you feel good to be a part of that process. I don't remember her. Where is she right now? Ah, good Is Do you have the chicken feed in there? No. Oh, okay. That's always special. Yeah. That's the butt. That's okay. You don't want to eat that. I like it. She doesn't eat the butt. She can eat it. I'm part leading up to the butt. I never thought my girls would work in Chinatown. Their mother, Wei Lin Song. Because we lived in Greenwich, Connecticut. Tom would be commuting every day, you know, like an hour and a half each way. So he didn't see them that much in those days. They had no idea anything, not a faintest idea about the Chinese community. In fact, Heather still doesn't. She hates the city, you know. She, she's like me. We both have headaches. And at home, when we don't want them to understand, we speak Chinese. You always said to me, if you come work for the bank, <laughs> the benefit will be you have a nine to four job. Nine to four? He yeah, said nine because, to four. Yeah, because a long time nine, ago, people could leave at job. three for the bank. He said, you can have children, you can have a family. You know what he said to me? He said. If you wish to work with me, remember, this is your own choice. And don't think it's going to be easy. You gave me two different stories. You know, people ask me, so why in the world you wanted to get into banking? It's not because I needed a job. I was practicing law. I was busy. But I said to myself, it's time for me to do something, do, do something, do something for the society. Yeah. That started from Ye's time. Grandfather. Gra my, my grandfather. grandfather. Yeah, my grandfather. grandfather. Your father. He always thought that was the honorable 
thing to do. But that's not unusual. A lot of people in Chinatown, your generation, they believe that was honorable to be entrusted. And, and, to be trusted. Entrusted and, and, with the public funds. Yeah, that's right. Do you have a copy of the uh, payoff letter? This whole five-year ordeal began in December of 2009. At a closing that day involving one of our loan officers, Ken Yu. Jill so. Ken Yu worked with us around four years. The staff really liked him. He was very popular. He had some charisma. Title closer, Linda Hall. It was a normal closing. There was the seller's attorney, and it was the buyers. but. There was a lot of tension in the closing. They weren't getting along. They were arguing over things. The attorney asked me a question about additional monies that the borrower said that she was paying. It didn't make sense to me. So I called Ken Yu and I asked him, what are these checks? He just got, oh, blah, 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 blah. Hedging and not answering. Vera was very upset. This girl gave thousands of dollars, I'm told, to this loan officer, and she thought they would be applied towards her closing costs, and they weren't. It was very shocking. I said, this loan cannot close. That was Friday. Then on Monday, Ken came in, and I fired him that day, because he was lying all over the place. Ken you stole money, that he was running a money laundering operation on his own, unbeknownst to everybody here. Obviously committed fraud. I referred the case to our compliance officer, and then we hired an outside consultant a former federal prosecutor who was highly experienced in fraud and anti-money laundering investigations. During our investigation, we found two other loan officers who were engaged in wrongdoing, nothing at the level of Ken Yu, but we fired them nonetheless. And some other staff also resigned. Shortly after, we notified Fannie Mae. Investigative journalist David Lindorf. They actually not only fired the loan officer, and canceled the closing, they went straight to the Office of Thrift Management, which was their regulator, and they told them about it. So it, it was this perfect evidence of a bank finding out something that shouldn't be happening and taking steps to make sure this didn't happen again. New Yorker staff writer, Xiang Fan. The couple, unfortunately, lost down payment on this house, which was you know, quite a chunk of money. It was 10% of the house's price. And they were very upset. And at that point, the borrower, she calls me and she's like, you know, there's this money that he's taken from me, so what are you going to do? And I said to her, I remember I was furious. I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I'm thinking to myself, maybe she's in cahoots with Ken Yu to defraud the bank. I said, if you have a problem, you should go file a complaint at the police precinct. Prosecutor Polly Greenberg. A complaint was filed with the local precinct. The initial DA's office investigation was focused solely on the employee who had been accused of a theft. The DA's office started asking us questions. Jill Sung. Everybody who asked us for something, we gave them. We thought we actually went beyond what we were supposed to do. My compliance officer actually put together binders for her staff. And so basically, the beginning of the case was handed to her team in binder form. You know, at first you think that they're here to figure out what's going on for us because they're law enforcement. Very some. I don't know where and at what point we transitioned to... In their mind, yeah. To in their point. mind and then us realizing, wait a minute, you know, maybe we're the target. Polly Greenberg. We spent a lot of time investigating 
and ended up absolutely convinced that the loan department was corrupt pretty much through and through. Mr. Wong ran the loan department and widespread fraud was occurring in front of him every day. In July 2011, two of the policemen went to my house and asked me to, to go to the district attorney office to, to have an interview. But I, but I refused. The office was convinced that the knowledge of that corruption went up to high enough people in the bank that the bank was legally responsible for it. Let me assure you that we do not take lightly the charges that we announced today. DA Cyrus Vance Jr. Now these defendants, the bank and former employees and managers from its loan department, are charged with engaging in a systematic scheme to falsify and fabricate loan applications to the Federal National Mortgage Association, commonly known as Fannie Mae. When the actual indictment occurred, I think the greatest fear was that it would directly involve Jill. Sister Heather Song. And that was something that was incomprehensible to us, just knowing how we were raised, that she could ever be guilty of something like that. I mean, I, I think they definitely were looking, trying to get us, to get me, yeah, because I'm the CEO and president. But they did not charge me individually because they did not have any evidence to support that I was involved in the wrongdoing. We felt that the provable evidence stopped at a certain level, but that the individuals who were charged were high enough in the corporation to charge the corporation. I was at the district attorney's office as a prosecutor for seven years. Another sister, Chanterelle Sung. The very division that was bringing this prosecution against the family bank. And when I found out what they were doing, I had to go to my bureau chief to let him know that, you know, this was going on, there's a potential conflict here, and it made me so angry that that very same office where I had served and been trained could do that. To know that they were doing this against my family, who is me, that's where I come from. And then to know that my reputation in the office was one of utmost integrity. It just made no sense. A newscaster reports, Mr. Sung says that Abacus has cooperated with the DA's investigation, submitting over 600,000 pages of documents. Mr. Sung says the DA is now asking us to plead guilty, which is unacceptable to us. What was especially interesting, journalist Matt Taibbi, was the way the DA pursued the public relations aspect of this prosecution. Reporters in this town were treated to this extraordinary photo opportunity this almost Stalinist-looking chain gang. Abacus attorney Kevin Pugolowski. I'm a former prosecutor. I'm not soft on crime. I've never seen a spectacle like this. These people were humiliated intentionally for no good reason. Prosecutor Polly Greenberg. It is not the district attorney's office's decision whether or not to put people in handcuffs, but people who were brought into court who have been charged with crimes are put into handcuffs. Uh, that's a decision that's made by the court officers. I won't go into it more than that because, you know, it's not something I'm involved with. Chanterelle Sung. Court officers don't come outside of the courtroom. They were led down the hallway by district attorney investigators. 
I got off the elevator and I saw what was happening. I had never seen that in my entire time at the DA's office. I mean, this was like the case of the century. He never would have done that with, with a, a black group of employees. Journalist David Lindorf. You know, I mean, everyone would see that for what it was. And they actually staged it so much so that three of the people that were in that chain had already been arraigned, had already posted bond, and were out awaiting trial. Defense attorney Sam Talkin. The DA had added charges to Mr. Wong's indictment. Usually, you don't even have to go through the process again. You, they just add the charges, you get arraigned again, the bail is transferred, and that's that. Instead, they had me turn him in, and the next thing you know, I see him chained to 15 other people being herded like cattle down the hallways of 100 Center Street. I've been doing this for 25 years, and I'd never seen that happen before. There are security issues behind the decision. DA Cyrus Vance Jr. But those decisions create uh, feelings that, are, that don't reflect uh, the view of the office or my view. And, I, and, and to the degree that happened here, I think it was, it was uh, very unfortunate. But it, it, it happened. And it's a humiliation. It's a humiliation for, for me, you see. And that's where I saw incompetence combined with arrogance. Chanterel Song. My deputy bureau chief, he's always so inspirational, and he would always refer to the inscriptions outside of 100 Center Street about having faith in justice. But I don't, I don't believe that anymore. I decided to leave the DA's office. Journalist David Lindorf. It really angered the Chinese community, but so what? They're not going to decide an election for Vance. That's it. <laughs> You've done that many times? My whole life. Community activist Don Lee. This is the association where my great-grandfather was, my grandfather, my, my dad. Back in the days with the Exclusion Act, people do not have rights. This is where they would all come. Like Mr. Song, what drives me is the sense of community. Don Lee exchanges greetings with people on the street. Hey, how are you? Oh, OK. you. This case is about an attack on our community. We're easy prey. I think that's what's going on. People have reason to be fearful of authority or what can happen to them. You know, the retribution, the years of oppression that happened from the street vendors, from the small businesses, from people just writing tickets because they can. A street vendor asks Lee's help in contesting a ticket for a sidewalk infraction. Yeah, 
It's more than just Africa Savings Bank being clear. It's about exonerating our entire community, no matter what we do. Be it the little guy selling vegetables or a bank that's doing business. I told Mr. Song, I'm glad they pick on you because you're a fighter. Mrs. Song. Cyrus Vance just felt this is easier to attack, especially as a family bank. But he doesn't realize Tom is not easy to be pushed around. And my girls, they're tough, smart, capable women, so courageous. Reporter Tiwa Chen. Although this is David versus Goliath, David being Advocates Federal Savings Bank has a slingshot. And that is, you know, their whole family of lawyers. I was going to be able to fight this. They're almost gleeful. They're like, we're going to have our day in court now. We're actually going to be able to show that they were wrong. They made a decision that they were not going to plead guilty to something that they didn't feel the bank was guilty of. Defense attorney Kevin Pulaski. That is a courageous choice, uh, and it's an expensive choice. The DA's office has hundreds of lawyers and took five years to do their grand jury investigations, and it, it, it is a daunting task to fight the government. February 15th, 2015, trial day one. Prosecution opening statement. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. This is a simple case about a bank that was converted into a criminal conspiracy fueled by greed. Defendant Abacus Federal Savings Bank engaged in an ongoing mortgage fraud conspiracy. They routinely falsified and faked mortgage documents and then deceived the Federal National Mortgage Association, commonly known as Fannie Mae. They took Fannie Mae's money for loans riddled with lies, all the while promising that the loans contained truthful and verified information. The defendants did this over and over and over again. And between 2005 and 2010, the bank earned millions of dollars servicing and selling fraudulent loans to Fannie Mae. The defendants conspired to steal money from Fannie Mae and did, in fact, steal money from Fannie Mae. Defense opening statement. Historians tell us that Abraham Lincoln loved riddles, and one of his favorites went like this. If you call a tail a leg, how many legs does a dog have? And the answer is four, because calling a tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Calling Fannie Mae a victim of grand larceny and fraud is like calling a dog's tail a leg. We have no loss. We have no harm. We have no larceny. We have no fraud. Hello? A family conference call. Heather? You're on speaker. Okay. So how did everything go today? It was a very well, long day. Very <laughs> exhausted. Long yes, day. I'm so tired. I, I don't don't get me wrong. I think uh, the lawyer all did a very very good how job. About? But the feeling, the emotion, was a little bit lacking. Mm -hmm. He did a not. Good, a strong touch the emotion, emotion. presentation of your case I agree requires you. emotion. There were so many other things that could have been said or should have been said. You gotta let your attorney at this point, who's been living with this case and feels very strongly about it, you gotta let him. Let him I, I think he was leave him be. Let him do it. He spent the most time talking about how we stopped that closing, and yeah. he showed you what steps we took. 
I, after I, that, it's, if you, the jury is not, I, has to be convinced I, I, by I, documents. It's an extremely, extremely I agree thorough. with you. The His facts are brought out. The he's, laws he's, are brought he's, out. He's he said, said your favorite thing. And you can say that this thirsting your business. He's not finished. Let's finish it. You keep on interrupting him. Let him express his feeling. He has to. We let him Yeah, but then you consider. We're allowed to express our feeling, too. Yeah, but you don't have to be jumping around. I haven't been jumping around. I haven't been talking, actually. It's appeals to the human. I really, yeah. I gotta do work. I have to sign off on loans. Have, that that loan has been sitting on my desk for okay, three days come now. On, do it. I want to give Speaking the work. Speaking of which, you, you know what? <laughs> okay. well, what don't, don't get so excited. I'm not. I'm just saying I gotta get things done. Okay, okay let's, let's go. go. Let's go. Heather, I'm hanging up on you now. Okay. Yeah. Rocket, let's go. Okay, Joe, we'll leave you be. Yeah, yeah, I'll get out. We'll leave you be. You gotta check. I have to do We have to work now. Let's go. Holly Greenberg is the bureau chief of major economic crimes in the New York DA's office. So there were 180 or so counts in this trial. And let's also remember that there were, I think, 10 guilty pleas here. Journalist David Lindorf. The DA, his case was built basically on the fact that he arrested all these very low-level loan officers. They started going to people's houses, many people at 6 in the morning, knocking on their door and defense attorney Sam Tolkien. Demanding, not forcing, but demanding that people come down to the district attorney's office and speak to them. And they got a lot of statements from a lot of people using that tactic. We're talking about Chinese people, uh, many of whom are, have come from a police state. And in China, people are terrified of, of that, the knock on the door. Trial, day five. Good morning, Mr. Yu. Good morning. When the court officer swore you in, he asked you your name. You said Chi Bin Yu. Is there another name that you go by? Ken Yu. Defense attorney Kevin Povolowski. Here's this gentleman, Ken Yu, who was how the bank found out about this misconduct in the first place. The guy that the bank fired, not only was he falsifying documents in order to put through loans, he was stealing money from customers. That guy ends up being their, the DA's office star witness. Mr. Yu. I'd like to direct your attention to the Ariel Chi case. Ms. Chi was the borrower that you stole money from, right? Yes, sir. Isn't it true that you asked Ms. Chi for a cash tip as well? No, I never asked her for a cash tip. I don't remember that part. Mr. Yu, you had a telephone conversation with Ariel Chi, is that correct? Correct, sir. And at the time, you didn't know that Ms. Chi was actually tape recording that conversation with the assistance of the district attorney's office, correct? Yes, sir. Vera Sung. The DA's office was trying to get him to implicate the bank. This recording was brought into trial through our attorneys on cross-examination of Ken Yu. Let's just get right into it. You called me after closing, then um, I'm supposed to go and give you cash, right? Right, to make things, I mean, it's legal, you're not supposed to do that, but mm -hmm. hey, it's after the clothing. Yeah. I mean, everything you, else is so, legally not right, so, you know, I think it's another one. <laughs> it's just unwritten rule that uh, it's, it's happening to every, like, every case that I see, mm -hmm. you know, at the end, and you, like, you show some appreciation. Does this refresh your recollection that you did ask her for a tip? Yeah. Jill and then Vera's song. I noticed that he couldn't look at me. That's very telling. Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't look at me, but I was like, I'm going to look at you. We were, <laughs> I, was, I was like, I'll burn you with I, my so eyes. I was eyeballs. looking at him intently as <laughs> well, too. I dare you to say what you want to say. He got on the stand and perjured himself 
over and over and over again in ways that, that, a, that a defense lawyer just doesn't get in a career more than once or twice. The jury laughed at him multiple times. Abacus, you told me that Abacus knew, right? You don't, we don't say it to the bank. It's just the individuals, the, the people who work for the bank. Mm -hmm. I'm an employee of the bank. Mm -hmm. And so is the other underwriter. So then, okay, but like, Abacus, like the bank, they know that everybody's uh, thing is made up, right? I, I will say that. Now, you had a long pause there, didn't you, Mr. Yu? I was driving. So that long pause is because you were driving? You were distracted? That's your testimony? I cannot recall, but I was definitely driving. You'll say that if you get in trouble. Is that what you meant there? I say that because- That's a very, Mr. Yu, I'm asking you. It's a strange way to answer that question. And I'm asking you what you meant by- I, I will say that. I will say that. I believe that. Well, the jury can decide what your tone suggests. It became quite clear that he had no trouble lying. Juror Roman Fusilov. If that's how he's comfortable acting, I would have thought that he would be comfortable saying much more to try to directly link Mr. Tam and, 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 and Mr. Wong and, and Joel Sung with, with what had happened. But even he didn't do that. But you also had to not let go of the fact that he didn't get this way overnight. Juror Jessica would be Denima. He had years of this type of behavior that was just overlooked on numerous occasions. What role did the bank's management play in what had happened? How much they actually were not aware of what was happening versus turning a blind eye because things were going well and the results were good. Jill Sung. Ken Yu was clearly a bad egg. By using Ken Yu, which is the worst of the worst, the DA's office is saying, this is the face of the institution. If the bank was in such cahoots with this person, then why would we fire him? We would want to save him. Journalist David Lindorf. What the DA accused Abacus Bank of was ridiculous and really nothing, considering what the big banks were doing. All the two big to fail banks, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan Chase, and Citicorp have admitted to massive crimes, and they've been accused of even worse. Journalist and author Matt Taibbi. Virtually every major financial company and big bank in this country, and many of the foreign banks as well, were engaged in a far-ranging fraud scheme, whereby they were issuing huge numbers of home loans, particularly to middle and low-income borrowers. And then they were repackaging those loans and selling them to investors, but disguising them as high-rated securities. Those were extremely dangerous, toxic loans that were likely to blow up and did blow up in huge numbers after 2008. Neil Borowski is the former head of mortgage fraud at the New York U.S. Attorney's Office. But there was this notion that we couldn't bring criminal action against them because the collateral consequences of an institution that was so large, so internationally connected, that indicting them or bringing criminal charges against them could wreck the entire financial system. Matt Taibbi. So you have these enormous offenders, and they commit crimes. We'll just take money. They'll cut a check and make it all go away. I think every American was upset at the crisis that we went through. New York County DA Cyrus Vance Jr. There was behavior that was you know, less than ethical. 
And I think Americans were upset that the security against which loans were made were often fictitious. And in Abacus, there was some truth to that too. It's clearly not a big, big bank. And clearly it was not representative of the entire financial community. But I think the principle was the same. It shows, I think, very graphically this difference in how we deal with a certain kind of offender versus everybody else. David Lindorf. Mr. Sung was not offered the same deal. He wasn't offered a chance to just pay a fine. He wasn't offered a chance to plead guilty to some minor thing. He wasn't offered the chance even of deferred prosecution. He didn't get any of that offered to him. The DA told us, you had to accept a plea of guilty for felony plus a fine. Thomas Sung. Now, what, what is our choice? They wanted a conviction, and Vance was going to go after him. I think if you were going to pick a, a, a bank to pick on, family-owned company wedged between a couple of noodle shops in Chinatown is about as easy a target as you could possibly pick. I think the characterizations that this was somehow a cultural bias on the office's part, entirely misplaced and entirely wrong. Cyrus Vance Jr. We devote an enormous amount of effort into protecting immigrant communities, and I felt that our handling of the bank was consistent with how we would have handled the bank if we were investigating a bank that, that, that serviced the South American community or the Indian community. There was nothing different that we did or purposefully designed to treat this bank differently. New Yorker staff writer Zhe-Yong Fan. It was important for prosecution to show how exactly loan managers knew what was happening. I think the most compelling piece of evidence they had was this seating chart of the Abacus Loan Department. The loan officers who had been indicted were scattered around the floor, and somewhere in the middle was the loan office manager. Juror Jessica would be Denima. This was all happening around Mr. Tam's desk. How would he not be aware of this type of behavior when this was going on on a, on a routine daily basis? Vera and then Jill Sung. It's not so simplistic as they would like you to believe as a simple drawing as to where someone sat. But, but on top of that, they brought Ken Yu, who was a consummate liar, and he speaks a different language than Mr. Tam. He conducts business outside of the bank. Actually, at one point, they cross-examined Ken because Ken said, oh, the guy gave me cash. I was counting from my table. When we... When the borrower came in to testify, the borrower said, no, I met him in the lobby of the bank. Defense attorney Kevin Pugolowski. We were able to show that the loan officers were taking steps to hide their misconduct from the underwriters and the more senior levels of the bank. They would stop talking when an underwriter would come to the floor. They would forge signatures to make sure the signatures would match up. When the underwriter looked at the file, everything would look normal. Defense attorney Sam Tolkien. You had loan originators that were going to make commissions by getting these loans through. And then you had people like Mr. Wong who had no incentive whatsoever financially to do this. So they did everything they could to hide their crimes from Mr. Wong because they knew he wasn't involved and that he would deny loans, which he did many times. He would deny people where the income couldn't be verified or where it seemed like the income was out of line. There was one denial he did where it, there were fraudulent documents that he uncovered. And his denial of loans cost the originator's commission. Defendant Mr. Wong says, 
Of course, as I watched my old colleagues lie about me, I was very unhappy. But as a defendant, I couldn't do anything. The only thing I could do was just sit there and watch. Cyrus Vance Jr. I think the people who went to the bank and got the loan didn't fully understand perhaps that what they were doing was lying. But I think that ultimately the unintended losers here were the borrowers in the community. We're actually contributing to the revival of the community. Thomas Sung. It is absolutely mind-boggling for him to say that. David Lindor. When the indictment came down, Sung saw it as a existential threat to his bank, and rightly so, because so many institutions failed just, just from having that indictment. We already went through a crisis in 2003 that almost closed down the bank. The FBI is looking for Carol Lim, who ran the Canal Street branch of Abacus Federal Savings. Word of the alleged scam sent off panic waves among bank customers. Reporter T. Wa Chang. So in 2003, I happened to be doing a story in Chinatown. My photographer at the time said to me, something going on up the block. Back it up! Back it up! Chaos in Chinatown as thousands of investors make a run on Abacus Federal Savings Bank, demanding their money after hearing that a former bank manager was being investigated for embezzling a million dollars. When the rumor spread in the Asian community, the run for the dough was on. A woman in the crowd says, I believe they have some money, but with so many people in line, I don't think they have enough for everyone. Take a walk. Go elsewhere. Do something else today. In that short period of time, people withdraw something like $44 million, putting us in a liquidity crisis. Associated Press report that we have not seen this type of run since the 30s, since the Depression. You have to understand something about Thomas Sung. To me, he's like Jimmy Stewart out of It's a Wonderful Life. He's the small town banker, but the town is Chinatown. I went to the police department, asked them, gave me a bullhorn. I went on the line and I said to them, I'm here. You're, you're thinking of this place all wrong, as if I had the money back in a safe. Well, your money's in Joe's house, that's right next to yours, and in the Kennedy house, and Mrs. Maitland's house, and a hundred others. And I actually went out and shake hand with them. Feel my warm hand, I'm here, I'm the real person. After I did that, the run subsided. Relative calm in Chinatown in sharp contrast to Tuesday's mad rush on the Abacus Federal Savings Bank, the CEO of the bank assuring investors. They knew that everything was okay. The people came back, they came in, deposited money. They thank us. If I did not have that rapport with the people, then I would have been much more worried that the DA indicted the bank. But if verdict is guilty, there is the possibility that Abigus will not survive. Mrs. Song. I never supported him with a bank. I have to be honest. I told my husband, I said, banking is not good. I felt it's a troubled business. There are too many banks, you know, not everyone is successful, and not everyone will 
really appreciate what happens, you know, if something wrong with the bank. When you have a false document, you enhances the ability of Fannie Mae to ask you to take back the loan. I really felt my girls should go to do something else that they like to do. I didn't want them to work at the bank, but they went in, you know, because they want to help their father. They are fiercely loyal to Tom. You agree that income and assets is a material fact that has to be accurately represented. So I had never until now found a motivation really to come work for the bank. Chanterelle And this year when the trial started, I just, I was having nightmares myself. I mean, Vera and I were sharing a room back at my parents' house in Connecticut and we were both waking each other up and I, and I realized, I was like, I can't go on in my own career right now anymore as like, I have to help my family now. Because I think the law no, is, it, it, the document I, I, represents I, I, a material fact. I, I'm saying you, that if it is truly material, it listen to me, if it is truly material, right. the loan will go in default. Differentiation may not may fall. I get really frustrated sometimes. This is probably a factor of being the youngest, but sometimes I just like, whatever I say, it's just, not heard. Papa, if that's you are the, not convincing. If that's, the form, if that's the form that you choose I'll tell you to what use, tongue in cheek. Papa, she said no harm, no foul. If that's the form, I never said that. Hold on, she I have a question, Paula. I didn't say that. If that's the form that you choose she to use to represent, if that is she the form, that, that's not that's not true. Words. I I I just told I'm you there that. is harm. It's very difficult. Okay, to nothing parcel, more for me to say. This is my office. Sorry, Vera Song. As you can see, my desk is now piled extremely high. But I think it's always been a mess. That's just my personality. My father has always said, as an attorney, you should be neat and organized. Maybe I'm just not cut out to be an attorney. Tracy, on your desk, anything urgent that I need to get done before the weekend? We haven't been having many closings because of the effect of the trial. I've been waking up at five in the morning, getting work done, banging out all these emails, and then go to court. Trial, day 23, prosecution questioning borrower. Did you ever tell the person that you spoke to at Advocates Bank that you were a manager at Becky's Nail Spa? I was not a manager. The person told me that my income was very low, so it's better I have to be a manager, otherwise I can't get the loan. Kevin Povolosky. The prosecution over and over tried to suggest that the borrowers were innocent that it was the loan officers who were inducing the borrowers to falsify documents to qualify their loans. On this loan file, why does it say you're a manager? I don't know. Did you tell anyone that you were a manager? Nope. But we were able to show with witness after witness that it was not just the loan officers. Borrowers were trying to fool the bank in order to put through loans defense cross-examining borrower. Mr. Lin, you had your employer sign the verification of employment form for the loan file, is that correct? Yes. And he signed as the co-owner of the China sign. Did anybody co-own the restaurant with Mr. Pan? I don't really know. You don't know if Shu Ken Lin was also a co-owner of the China Sun restaurant? I only meet this person a few times. I don't know if this person is a co-owner of the restaurant or not. Shu Ken Lin, you only met a few times and you don't know if she's a co-owner? They didn't tell me. I didn't ask. Okay. Shu Ken Lin, spelled S-H-U-Q-I-N-L-I-N. You don't know who that is? I know who that is. You do know who that is. So who is that? You can say she's like a sister. Is she like a sister or is she your sister? She's my sister. 
There was a string of witnesses who were just abject liars, um, to the point where it, it became a concern of ours that the, the jury is going to think that, that everyone that the bank deals with, former employees and customers, are just full of At a Sung family dinner. So the trial's been going on for the ninth weeks now, right? Is it nine? Day 52. Yeah. It's around day 52. No, I've been keeping track of the number of days the since, the since the jury was, yes, since January 12th. I just cannot believe how this uh, thing could be dragged out so long. The weeks in trial and the expenses involved, the millions of dollars that's spent to defend yourself. And witness after witness, of course they would know they are lying. So you bring these people out day after day for nine weeks, and what is the effect on the community? People get the wrong impression that Chinese are not law-abiding. That, that's that's well, just too bad. We can hopefully win this case and make a statement. Well, even if you win the case, the damage, well, to us, the strain on the community is done. immigrants come from a culture in which so many financial transactions are based on trust and trust that's not underwritten by a piece of paper, on trust that's um, an intimate understanding, you know, between members of a community or between family members. I don't think any of the borrowers think that they are really committing a crime, even if some of these loan documents are falsified. Juror Jessica Woodby Denema. One particular individual had been approved for an $800,000 mortgage loan, but on their tax return, they were earning only $24,000 a year. I think this was as a couple. There were a lot of guests across the jury panel. How does this even happen? Tax evasion, I think, lurks in the background of this case. Because they work primarily in a cash economy, a lot of the borrowers had money that they did not report to the IRS. Only when they're purchasing a house did it become necessary for them to prove how much money they had, but then they were trapped in this position of not having the paper trail. Maybe folks in that community don't, don't pay 100% you know, of their taxes. Kevin Puvalowski. These are issues that if they have a problem with a, you know, with any immigrant community that, that operates in cash, okay, that, that they have the, the wherewithal to do something about that. Um, the IRS does too. Abacus isn't the FBI. There's no bank regulations that require the bank to basically serve as a police force against its own customers. Jill Sung. There'd be chaos if your bank basically was the IRS. No one would want to bank with any bank. Thomas Sung. You can say that our responsibility was to provide credit to the community, not to be a policeman. David Lindorf. And I remember Mr. Sung said this to me. The guy comes to him to modernize his restaurant. And he said, I don't even need to ask him his, his income because I eat at that restaurant and I see how full it is. So, you know, when he comes in and asks me for a loan, I'm ready to give him the money. 
That's the kind of thing a community bank can do. And in the Chinese community, that's what they were doing. They knew their community. They were making these loans. Zhang Fan. The prosecution had insisted since the beginning of the trial that many of the documents that were part of the mortgage package were fraudulent. And that included, um, in many cases, gift letters. Gift letters written by um, relatives or friends. Prosecutor Polly Greenberg. There was knowledge throughout the loan department that what was being put forward as unencumbered gifts were, in fact, loans and the source of those loans, money that came from who knows where. In Chinese culture, the line between a gift and a loan is very blurry, to the extent where there isn't even really a distinction when it's coming from your parents or your relatives. This is what immigrants have always done. Jewish families did it. Irish families did it, Italian families did it, Chinese families do it. If I receive, you know, $50,000 from my mother, there isn't a paper document that says I must return that sum. But, you know, if I end up caring for her in her old age, that's a form of payment. And I remember sitting in the courtroom, hearing how perplexed they were when they were answering this question, when, you know, repeatedly they were being badgered, you know, is this a gift or is this a loan? Can you clarify? They said, well, you know, if I can't pay it back, I will. But, you know, if I, if I can't, we're a family. Juror Jessica Woodby Denema. So gift letters actually had to be from a relative or spouse. But it came to surface that these loan officers um, sometimes were listed as the gift donors. Prosecution questioning witness. Mr. Yu, at the top of this gift letter certification, it reads that you are making a gift of $9,000 to your cousin, Chi Zen Chen. Is Chi Zen Chen your cousin? No. Did you make a gift of $9,000 to Chi Zen Chen? He gave me $9,000 in cash, and we went downstairs and got the certified bank check in his name. Tell us how it came to be that Chi Zen Chen gave you $9,000, and then you gave him a check. This particular customer did not have any credit scores. Can you tell us, from this document, who approved this loan? That would be Ms. Vera Song. Vera Song. If Ken Yu is signing a gift letter, Ken Yu, that would be disturbing. That's not what happened. Jill Song. The Chinese name Kim is not known, but people just called him Ken. Ken Yu clearly knew that and purposely put his Chinese name on that check for that reason, to obfuscate that it was him who had given, quote, gift to the borrower. Mr. Yu, what is the commitment letter? That the bank agrees to give this borrower a loan if all the conditions were met. Right. And gift letters, for example, have to be in the file before you close, but not before the commitment letter goes out. Isn't that right? You're right, sir. So the verification of employment that you help fake, the gift letters that you help fake, were done after Vera Sung approved this loan on behalf of the board of directors. Isn't that right? In this case, yes. It's trying for us because it's our father's legacy. Exactly. And he's passed that legacy on to us. And Vera always, when she was born, she wants to be very mean to me. She'll point out, it happened under your watch, right? <laughs> so she's going to be very mean to me.
Mr. Sung gets a haircut. The barber says, a haircut does indeed make you look more spirited. Mr. Sung says, yes, I do need a haircut to make me feel more energetic, especially as I grow older. Barber, your hair is still good. It can still stand erect. Other people's hair cannot get erect anymore. Many have lost it and become bald. Tom Sung, my son-in-law is also losing hair, becoming bald. Your son-in-law is a Chinese or a foreigner? Foreigner. Barber, we're all getting old. So much time has gone by. Our father was 75 and now he's 80. People don't understand there's some long-term effects from going through such a traumatic experience. Tom Sung. Just think about it. Our bank was doing so well, wasn't it? Barber, such good business messed up by them. They should pay the bank for the reputational damage. They are trying to make fun of us Chinese people. This bank will surely continue to seek vindication, not simply for the ultimate acquittal of the bank itself, but for the larger Chinese immigrant community that it has served for 31 years. Chanterelle Sung reading a draft press release. The okay. raw display of power by the DA will always remind this and other minority communities that our human rights can easily be trampled upon. It's a little bit counterintuitive the way you write it. You want to tell people that you cannot allow something bad exactly. to go That's on. Exactly, that's what I told them. And so you're continue. saying human rights can easily be trampled upon, and I don't read it, I don't want people to think you're saying that it can be, in other words, it should be a normative sentence. No, no, not, no. It should not be trampled upon. Heather Sung. The cost has been great, but it's very different per each member of the family because we all handle stress in a very different way. See, Chantrell, this is all in here, but he changed my words again, and then he didn't put it in properly in here. <sighs> a little bit dry. Because that's the chicken. No mayo, that's why, right? Mm -hmm. But there's cheese. Mm -hmm. My father especially is able to handle stress in an incredible way. If you, if you don't like your sandwich, are, are you okay? Fine. Oh. But you said it's dry. Mm-hmm. As he's gotten older, I think he feels that he's done what he's wanted to do. Um, he's a little more philosophical. And to know that he's done the best that he can do is good for him. If it's too much chicken, you don't have to eat all of it. No. He, he said, did, he did says, he complained, he said it's dry. Did they put, oh, they didn't put mayonnaise. They did put, yeah, but they did put they avocado. avocado. They put avocado. Mm -hmm. But he him, says it's dry. He said oh, it's I dry, but I'm easy. This is Song. This is how he is. He's very calm, and I'm very, I'm like a jumping beans. I'm always running around, you know. That's how I am, and drives me nuts. My mother, I think, probably feels things the strongest. She's a very emotional person and I think defines herself to a large degree by the perceptions that others have. So it hurts her. I felt I lost my face. You know, Chinese always want to save their face. I was embarrassed to even see my friends because nobody knows. I really don't know too much about the banking and how I'm gonna explain everything. All I can say is we did not do it. I just couldn't stand people thinking of my children that bad, you know. 
the prosecutor is saying that Jill lied. So that really bothered me. I felt like screaming. Of course, Vera always tell me, don't talk, don't move. So I had to sit there and just suppress myself, you know. That's why I couldn't even eat lunch yesterday. I had a stomach ache. Trial, day 64. Defense cross-examining Susan Roma, Fannie Mae Risk Director. Ms. Roma, is the Federal National Mortgage Association, otherwise known as Fannie Mae, in the business to make money? Fannie Mae is in the business of providing home ownership. And as a result of that, Fannie Mae does make money. Yes. Defense attorney Rusty Wing. This whole case ultimately came down to Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae was the alleged victim in the case. Jill Sung. The prosecution's premise was that the 30 loans that were in the indictment that we had sold to Fannie Mae were not good because the documentation themselves were not what they were supposed to be. The bank can do whatever it wants. DA Cyrus Vance Jr. The bank could keep those loans, it could service those loans, and care not a whit about the documentation. That was the bank's choice. Keep them or sell them. It chose to sell them. In selling the loans to Fannie Mae, they simply passed the risk off to unknowing purchasers. Miss Roma, Fannie Mae doesn't want to lose money, does it? Absolutely not. And it doesn't want our lenders to lose money either. And you are familiar with the default rate of abacus loans during the indictment period, correct? Yes, I am. During the five-year period of the alleged fraud, abacus sold a little over 3,000 mortgages to Fannie Mae. The number of defaults of those 3,000 totaled nine. Nine. Would you say that that was a low default rate? The default rate is low. Would you say it's microscopically low? Objection to the characterization. Sustained as to the word microscopic. Defense attorney Kevin Puvalowski. Abacus Federal Savings Bank had one of the nation's lowest default rates. Not the highest, the, one of the lowest. But that's not what we're looking at. Juror Jessica Woodby Denema. We're looking at, you know, was there, you know, falsified information and was it sold? And it was. Jill so. These loans had not lost any money. They're performing. It was clear financially who was benefiting was Fannie Mae from that transaction. People got their loans. They got their houses. It was, it was almost ridiculous. That's, it was almost literally ridiculous. Kevin Pulalowski. Larceny is about stealing. To bring larceny charges against the bank when the supposed victim actually made hundreds of millions of dollars, it's just, it's outrageous. My view is if I take $5 out of your wallet, uh, I've taken your money. Uh, if I, ultimately, if I give that back to you, uh, or if you don't, at, at the very end, actually have any loss because the money gets back to you, uh, that's still, in our view, a larceny. If I sold Fannie Mae a loan for $5, not only did they get their $5 back on time as what they thought they were going to get it, they also got 3 to $4 or $5 back in interest which makes it $10, so tell me how that is considered larceny. There are two types of mortgage fraud that generally occur. Neil Borofsky. We call them fraud for profit and fraud for home. There are a certain number of people who commit the crime of mortgage fraud because they lie on their application to get a loan for the home that they want to live in. Technically a crime, Absolutely. Is it a crime that is worth the resources of a state or federal government? Absolutely not. These are low default rates on these types of loans. The losses are relatively minor. 
the other types of fraud, fraud where there really was never any intention to pay the mortgage. It was just about reaping profit as quickly as possible. Or fraud that went into these complex securities that were built, when the knowledge that there was little to no chance that these loans are going to get repaid, that's where the resources need to go. And throwing your hands up in the air and suggesting that, well, gee, uh, any time a crime is committed, we put all of our resources in to prove it, is just not true. I mean, today, walking over to my office, uh, the light was red. And I confess, I walked across the street against a red light. I am absolutely guilty of jaywalking, and I could have gotten a ticket. Did I get one? No. It would have been a complete waste of the NYPD's resources to issue me a ticket and divert them of the real crime that's going on in the city. And regulators and prosecutors have to act with the necessary discretion of when to bring charges and when not to bring charges. Neil is certainly entitled to his opinion. Uh, I... Cyrus Vance Jr. Disagree with the characterization that this was jaywalking um, because I think it was systemic and over a long term and ultimately the risk was passed without notice to, uh, you know, to third parties. There should probably be regulatory punishment for that type of behavior without a question. But who are the, 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 the taxpayers that got hurt? Who are the investors that got hurt? Who are the individuals that lost their homes? Who are the people that got tricked into mortgages they couldn't afford and got thrown out on the street? Who lost their life savings? What financial system collapsed? What GDP took a hit because of the actions that Abacus did? And as far as I can tell, none. Frankly, if every bank had, had underwritten as well as Abacus, during the indictment period, we wouldn't have had a financial crisis. Vera and Chanterelle sung on a family conference call. We really need to talk about one issue right now, which is whether or not we should have Jill testify. It's really difficult, like we keep switching back and forth. Um, as of yesterday, Rusty believed that she should testify. Kevin took a different position. He was a little bit more hesitant. Right. And Papa feels so far that Jill should Actually, testify. Actually, Rusty and Papa have the same opinion. No. Yeah, but I don't want to, you know, pressure her to testify. And I, but Russ's view was that the jury always wondering why if you are so innocent, why would you not testify? Right. A jury might not feel much towards a corporate institution. If you put a, a personal face to it, such as Jill, they'll they'll begin to see and and realize that yeah, yeah, the consequences of conviction are 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 serious. However. Nothing has been truly said of Jill right. to implicate her in anything. Right. I feel like I have yet to hear a reason to put Jill on. In fact, if you don't put her on, it's not because you're trying to hide anything, but because there's, there's no, nothing no, to no, defend. Nothing to, to defend. Excuse me. Excuse me. Am I in the voice? Yes. Or yes. The yes. mother is speaking. Jill has no opinion of her own. That's a very good question. Jill. She's not here right Jill. now. She didn't even want to have this conversation. <laughs> the feeling that we got from her was that if she needs to testify, she will, but she would feel terrible if she somehow she didn't testify well and that re would ha would result in, in a, a, a negative um, outcome. Yeah, and she would, she would blame herself. I just wanted to, Papa, because I know you feel strongly about Jill testifying, and what, and I had felt the same way. Well, but, I, I, but I, I, I actually am not. You're not able. Longer in the, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I have changed your mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how would we feel if Jill didn't take the stand, and we did not win the case? Would we yeah, have I regrets? I can't answer that. I can't answer that. I have given 
the matter a careful and thorough analysis. If the outcome is not for me, I do not and should not feel regretful. Trial Day 67, Defense Closing Argument. They have said that these kinds of documents are so obviously false that Mr. Tam and Mr. Wong and the banks on their underwriters should have caught that. And the fact that they didn't catch them suggested that they were involved in the fraud. That's what they're telling you, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the problem. Fannie Mae, the best underwriters in the country, all they do, all day, every day, is look at loan files from all over the country. They are the gold standard, and they didn't see anything wrong with these documents. So if the best there is doesn't see anything wrong, how can that be criminal? It's not. And here I'm going to show you again Fannie Mae's email from 2012. We recognize that you have very unique needs that are closely linked to the borrowers you serve. While doing anything customized in this environment is very difficult, the team is committed to doing whatever we can to develop solutions that meet the needs of your culturally unique clientele. Ladies and gentlemen, Fannie Mae itself is conceding here that this is Chinatown. It's a thousand small businesses, first generation, special needs, and the bank serves that community. Does that pose challenges to the bank? Absolutely. It would be a lot easier to deal with a bunch of investment bankers who have W-2s and tax returns all the time. That would be easier. But the bank has chosen to serve this community, challenges and all. Prosecution closing argument. Abacus's own narrative that they are trying to give you is that they are trying to assist hardworking, first-generation immigrants live the American dream as a community service. That's admirable, and it's great. And Abacus Federal Savings Bank is free to do that and then hold the risk on their own books. What they are not free to do is take risks with other people's money and not tell them. They cannot take those risks and pass it off to somebody else without telling the truth. The family has lunch in a restaurant afterwards. Thank you. And then she tried to say that these loans seem to be representative of our entire loan portfolio, which is not true. She literally rolled her eyes at, at your mission and, and billing this gang for the community to serve the community and tell these people to serve the American dream. She just cast it aside. Even the fortunate at my age, I can hardly uh, hear everything that's said in the court. That's, because you that's a blessing. Select uh, that's community. a blessing. Did you observe in the beginning that the Honorable Sai Dance himself attended the beginning part? I, I did not see it. I have seen him on TV. Yes. And he, he's much smaller in person. Yes. Chanterelle song. As a family, we've always been very close but we've unified even more during this time, which is great. <laughs> Why are you laughing? She was just in tears, and now she's bursting out laughing. You know, the Police. judge sounds like the godfather. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said he has to save his voice for the jury charge, because that's going to be a few hours. Are you not eating any rice? Are you on the diet? How you want no. How you want <laughs> Judge's instructions to the jury. Jurors, 
Your responsibility in this case is extremely important. However, it is limited to this case. You have not been asked to make some general assessment of corporate governance in America or whether banks are good or not. You are not here to send a message to anyone. You are here to determine whether the people have proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendants here on trial are guilty of one or more of the crimes charged in this case. to vindicate all of us, we would hope that it happened quickly. You know what I mean? They'd be like, oh, we heard this evidence, it's not worth it. Just vindicate everybody. This is a really nerve-wracking time not knowing what the jury is going to decide and wondering how come they didn't come back already. point now I think it's really bothering me it's like why can't they see what seemed so apparent in the trial yeah. hate waiting in court it's boring and annoying I'd rather be doing work but our lawyers want us to be here in court in case the jury have a question they want the jury to see we're still here and we can help pick out the documents. So I'll have to bring a lot of work, a picnic basket of work. Journalist Jayang Fan. Day after day, the jury did not come back. And in fact, the jury was asking for various documents, some, you know, unfavorable for the prosecution, some unfavorable for the defense. The first note came back and they said they wanted the list of the loans that the DA's office was claiming were bad. And then they wanted all the loan files for those loans. And then they wanted all the denial files. I got to the point when we were actually trying to analyze the handwriting on the notes. We all know we didn't do anything. It's, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's. I mean, it's impossible that we're found guilty on all counts. Mm -hmm. This is impossible. We're driving ourselves mad trying to speculate, oh, this person must be thinking this, and maybe they're thinking quite the opposite. There was three different occasions where we were a hung jury. Juror Jessica Woodby Denema. Everyone felt very strongly in their view on it and had good substantial enough evidence to why. Where we had the toughest time was the falsified business records and because there was too many hands that were, it, it was touched throughout the bank for the loan approval process for things to go unnoticed. Juror Roman Fuselov. There was one specific juror, not Jessica, who felt that we as a jury had a sort of broader responsibility given the context of the financial crisis in 2008. 
to make an example out of this bank, that we were somehow doing a disservice to, to the public, to maybe the criminal justice system, by allowing them to walk free. We sent a note on June 3rd to the judge that we were hopelessly deadlocked. Eight were on the not guilty side. Four was on the guilty. I was one of the four on the guilty. Jury deliberation, day 10. Hi, okay, so they were dismissed today and they came back with a note again saying that they are deadlocked and that, they're, that both sides are adamant. So the judge gave them what they call an Allen charge, which basically said, go back and try to do this. So that means that by the end of tomorrow, either there will be a verdict or there will be a mistrial. Tomorrow will be the last day whether or not there's a, there's a unanimous verdict. Unless Ty Vance, in infinite wisdom, decides to retry the case. Jill, what are you calling going on? I'm concerned about Papa's well-being. Yeah. He's no. 80 years old. He's been up since 5.30 a.m. He has nothing to eat for dinner. Yeah. We need to get you to home. home. So let's, let's, let's yeah, get no. you some food. Papa, you do. Can you hear mom? So we're going to put him on a train. He will go home now, Mommy. You got to go home, Papa. Okay. Mommy's worried. But Mom, you got to eat, and then take a nap. Don't take the subway. OK, we'll eat. You got to eat now. You are old and mad, OK? You're not a young kid anymore. I've seen you every day for the last five years of the state. It's killing you, killing you. After such a long trial and so many charges against them, it's going to be very little possibility that the bank will be completely exonerated. The jury's going to find them guilty of something. If we go down on one, it's a, it's a defeat. You know, it's got to be 80 to nothing. If you're convicted on one felony, there would be very serious ramifications for the bank. Times article on Friday, June the 5th, 2015. After a four-month trial, a jury found Abigail Federation Bank and two of its senior officers not guilty of grand larceny and other charges on Thursday, rejecting the Manhattan District Attorney's attempt to prove that the bank systematically lied for years to the Federal National Mortgage Association. After the court clerk read the 240 counts and repeated words, not guilty, after each one, members of the Sun family wept and embraced one another. But I was told not to express any feelings. No, 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 during the Now you can express your feelings. <laughs> My father, we had to text him, and actually you got a I, I, He didn't him. respond to the text, so then I called him. He answered the phone and just sort of took a step back and started microwaving his vegetables <laughs> and said, um, what? There's, there's a verdict? Oh, should I come? <laughs> like, you're not processing. Juror Jessica Woodby-Denema. I didn't feel great about it. 
but I wouldn't have felt great if the verdict had been guilty. The way that the law was read to us is that under each charge, all of the different elements had to be met. In my mind, there were quite a significant few that three of the four requirements were met, but not all of them. And that's where the change came for the four of us to move over to the not guilty side. It was doing the right thing. Prosecutor Polly Greenberg. Abacus was not exonerated, was not exonerated. Exoneration is when a person is proven innocent. I don't think there's anything here that says that Abacus was proven innocent. Defense attorney Kevin Puvalowski. Poor loser comes to mind. There's a right thing to say when a prosecution office loses a case. We respect, although we disagree with the, the verdict, we respect the jury's verdict. Exactly. Period. Of course, I'm very happy at it. I'm, I'm very happy at it. Defendant Mr. Wong. I feel relieved for, for, because it, it, it has been a long time. I, I, I just want, 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 want to resume my normal life. The bank's founder, Thomas Sung, 79, said, this wrongful prosecution has exhausted a small community bank such as ours. This is a gross injustice, not only to a small bank, but is casting a shadow on our community. This is totally prejudicial and incorrect. We Chinese have to learn from other minorities. When it comes to the community's interest, you must let those who are in power know that this shall never happen again. Thomas Sung tells a group of journalists the litigation alone exceeded $10 million. American justice. A Chinese journalist says, American justice has become American injustice superimposed on you. You had the revenge for us. I'm so glad you are all here in a very happy occasion. And I want to thank everybody's support and dedication this last five years, and let's look for happier days to come. Okay. Let us eat cake. Let's eat cake. Let them eat cake. <laughs> this is really good. It's green tea, black bean green tea. There's many different flavors. It's not really celebrate. I mean, we were vindicated, and that's great. But our goal was never to go through a criminal trial and be vindicated. Our goal was to serve our community, right? So this is such a waste, it's a tragedy. We have a lot of cake, we may have too much cake. Activist Don Lee. The fact that they find innocent give all of us hope that the America that we believe in, still, you still have a chance, but it'll cost you $10 million. The Chinese has a saying, if you want a really hard, sharp steel, make a sword, you had to go through fire. This experience should make my daughters stronger, make them better person. I got a text from a friend. She said that she looked at the news this morning and felt proud of being a Chinese American. So that actually makes all of this worthwhile. Manhattan DA revoked Ken Yu's plea agreement. 
He was sentenced to six months in jail and five years probation for grand larceny, scheme to defraud, and falsifying business records. No other Abacus employee served time. The DA's office dropped charges on eight of them. Abacus has been under federal oversight and now has compliance practices. According to bank records, all the loans cited in the case have been paid off or continue to perform. Go to pbs.org frontline to read an interview with Abacus director Steve James. And coming soon, The Frontline Dispatch, a new original podcast series. I'm Rainey Aronson, Frontline's executive producer. We're going to be tackling the toughest subjects. I was caught in a car bomb in Mosul. Thought of marriage at 14. They were killed by militiamen. Subscribe now on our website or wherever you listen to podcasts. And sign up for our newsletter at pbs.org frontline. Frontline is made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. Major support is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information is available at macfound.org. Additional support is provided by Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide at fordfoundation.org. The Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The John and Helen Glessner Family Trust, supporting trustworthy journalism that informs and inspires. And by the Frontline Journalism Fund, with major support from John and Joanne Hagler, and additional support from Scott Nathan and Laura DeBonis, and William and Helen Pounds. Major support for Frontline and for Abacus Small Enough to Jail was provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Small Enough to Jail was directed by Steve James, produced by Julie Goldman and Mark Mitten, and co-produced by Fennell Doramus and Nick Verbitsky. The managing editor of Frontline is Andrew Metz. The executive producer of Frontline is Rainey Aronson-Roth. Frontline's Abacus Small Enough to Jail is available on DVD. To order, visit shoppbs.org or call 1-800-PLAY-PBS. Frontline is also available for download on iTunes.